Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I'm your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. This podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today is another Ask Me Anything episode. I know I have this disclaimer at the end of every episode, but I want to put it at the beginning of the AMAs as well, because I just want to be very clear that although I am answering questions, this is never personalized advice. I cannot legally or ethically give you any personalized advice unless a client practitioner relationship has been established. And that can only be done if we're working together in one of my containers, like the breaking up with anxiety group coaching program or the anxiety relief consult or the detox sessions. Whenever I answer these questions, I look at them from the perspective of, you know, if this person was in front of me on a consult or had joined the Breaking Up With Anxiety group coaching program or whatever, what additional information would I need to know to properly support them? And from the question, what's kind of jumping out at me? So with that being said, I'm super excited to answer this question today because I got a lot of contacts to her situation. So there's lots to talk about. So the question is, I got my gut tested. I have candida, low stomach acid. I'm not producing enough neurotransmitters, no good bacteria, possible P-roll disorder. I'm also sugar intolerant, but every time... I'm stressed, all I do is reach for sugar. I found the candida diet really hard and I just went back to old habits. I'm trying to figure out what to do first. I think the gut is most important. I've had gut issues my whole life and my daughter is the same. I did an oats test and before that a Dutch test that showed high estrogen and low progesterone, but now I am in menopause. Things got really bad during perimenopause. I seem to have used a lot of money and time. She has put me on a multi with copper in it. I'm trying to get my copper tested, but the gut is the most important thing. And that's hard um, as I'm addicted to sugar more so with menopause. I need to sort my head. Uh, Yes, I've tried over the years and failed, but my body is now yelling at me. I think menopause has magnified it all. Okay, so much to unpack here. So many pieces of the puzzle, which is really exciting. So let's dive in. If we were having a consult, I would want to know um, specifically kind of what what kind of gut testing you got. It does sound like you're working with some kind of functional practitioner because you mentioned the Dutch and the oats. And you wouldn't have had this kind of in-depth information from a medical doctor. However, I would want to know if the testing that you had ruled out parasites, H. pylori, SIBO, heavy metal, mold, which not all gut testing tests for all of those things. And those need to be ruled out. Uh, And unfortunately, just a stool test alone can't even rule out parasites because they don't just live in your stool. They're in many, many, many other areas of the body as well. So you have a candida overgrowth, which is good to know. But we also want to know why that candida overcolonized in the first place. So in the holistic health space, we have nicknamed candida, the disease that does not exist because medical doctors do not think uh, it's an issue. I've actually had clients be gaslit pretty hard by their doctors when they mentioned that they suspected candida or I suspected candida and I told them about it. Then they went to their doctors and their doctors were just like, that's not a thing. (laughs) So candida is a yeast that already lives in your digestive tract. It's supposed to be there in certain amounts, which... I would like to think is why maybe the medical community has that kind of attitude towards it. It does serve a purpose. It's not bad until it overgrows. In optimal amounts, it's going to help with digestion and nutrient absorption. So the issue is overcolonization. And when we have a candida overgrowth, this can give us tons of symptoms. So anxiety, depression, irritability, mood swings, 
chronic UTIs, yeast infections, food allergies, environmental allergies, like fungal nail and skin infections, athlete's foot, jock itch. Those are commonly known ones. Anything on the skin, rashes, psoriasis, hives, acne, eczema, strong cravings for sugar, bread, and alcohol, headaches, dizziness, ADD, ADHD, uh, fatigue, spaciness, poor memory, fibromyalgia, trouble sleeping, muscle aches, joint pain, or swelling, um, bad breath, dry mouth or dry throat if it's chronic, nasal congestion, again, if it's chronic, post-nasal drip as well, and literally anything chronic with the ear, nose, and throat, abdominal pain, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, heartburn, um, PMS, it can lead to other hormonal imbalances as well. And it's often a co-infection with parasites, which is why I was saying we need to rule out parasites with jo- which do not just live in your stool. In my um, How to Eliminate the Common Gut Pathogens That Create Anxiety workshop, I give the, I, I talk about the chain of events, like a potential chain of events that's kind of happening if you have any of the bacteria imbalances or the gut pathogens. So I want to give you an example of one with candida and how candida is going to impact your gut health, nutrient deficiencies, um, stress, lifestyle, diet. It's all connected. And I talk about the root causes a lot. If you are a listener of this podcast, you have heard me talk a lot about the root, the real root causes of anxiety. And I actually have a podcast series completely dedicated to that. And those are gut health, nutrient deficiencies, stress, lifestyle, diet, right? And all the buckets overlap with each other. It's never just one. Everybody has something in all of the buckets. So if we are looking at candida, for example, under the gut health bucket, candida grows out of control and it suppresses the body's ability to produce and secrete serotonin, which is our happy neurotransmitter. 90 to 95% of serotonin is produced in the gut. Your gut is quite literally your second brain. So candida needs to find nutrients to thrive. It's a living organism, just like us. It needs to eat, right? And so what it does is it breaks apart these the tight gap junctions in the intestinal wall, so the lining of the small intestine, creating something called intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut. And then this is going to going on to create the symptoms of inflammation included, but not limited to anxiety, autoimmunity, food intolerances. So that's an example of what candida is doing to impact gut health. Candida is also associated with a number of nutrient deficiencies like vitamin A, which is needed for immune function and skin health, B6, magnesium, zinc, all needed for neurotransmitter production and adrenal adrenal gland function, which is really important if anxiety is chronic. Obviously, we need to be building more neurotransmitters, but we really need to be nourishing and loving up on the adrenals. Omega-3, so the fatty acids, is another example of nutrient deficiencies that candida is associated with, and these are needed to build neurotransmitter receptor sites in the brain and reduce inflammation. Inflammation is a huge causative factor of anxiety. So this is how candida is impacting the nutrient deficiencies. And then if we go over to the stress bucket, candida is creating this overactivation of the immune system because it's a stressor on the body. And when it is chronic, the immune system becomes depleted from this never-ending war, basically. And then our body struggles to manage this physical stress. And then we struggle to manage our mental stress, and we are more reactive. So now we're going to experience trouble sleeping. So now we're in the lifestyle bucket, and not getting enough sleep is going to increase stress on the body. This is going to increase anxiety. And then our dietary choices. So now we're in the diet bucket. Our dietary choices have become influenced by this overgrowth of candida, such as the cravings for sugar and bread and alcohol. So this becomes a gut health issue, not a self-control issue. You mentioned the sugar cravings and falling back into old patterns and old habits. The candida is influencing that. If you have parasites, that is also influencing that. 
So because candida already lives in our normal gut flora, all it really takes is something to disrupt its balance. And there's a bunch of things that can do this. So antibiotics, birth control pill, antidepressants, PPIs, stress from lifestyle habits is a really big one, environmental toxins, blood sugar imbalance, so not getting enough sleep, not eating enough protein, eating too much gluten and sugar, um, not eating enough fiber and fat, skipping breakfast. These are all things that can imbalance your blood sugar. Drinking a lot of alcohol can create an imbalance that candida thrives in. I mean, eating the food that candida loves. So again, those refined carbs, those sugars, uh, lack of dietary fiber because dietary fiber is what feeds the probiotic bacteria. So if candida is an opportunistic yeast that's in the GI tract, and it's basically battling it out for space with our probiotic bacteria, this is what builds our neurotransmitters amongst many other things. There's only so much space in the gut and they're battling it out for space. So if you're feeding the candida and you're not feeding the probiotic bacteria, well, who's going to win that war? The people who are well-fed, not the people who are undernourished, right? If there's low stomach acid, which we are, you know, that that's one of the symptoms that that's one of the causative factors you already know, or one of the digestive imbalances, sorry, I should say. That's one of the digestive imbalances you already know that you have based on your testing. This can also lead to candida. Parasites, SIBO, H. pylori, if you have any of those, that can lead to candida. And heavy metal toxicity, what's really, really cool, at least I think it's really cool, is that candida will overgrow if there's a lot of heavy metal toxicity in the body as a way to protect you, as a way to protect the body from these heavy metals. I know it always feels like your, you know, my body's out to get me. Like, why is this happening to me? Why is my body failing me? But actually, your body is actually always trying to protect you. And in protecting you, it does create other symptoms because sometimes your body will create an imbalance because it's just trying to protect you because you're not giving it what it needs to thrive. So we always have to ask ourselves, why is this happening? And we always have to look at the role that we have played in the manifestation of our symptoms and our current health conditions. We're not innocent in this. It's not about pointing the finger blaming anybody because a lot of the time we just don't know. We're not educated on how to properly support our body, but we did play a role in this. And mold toxicity is a big one as well for a candida overgrowth. So when you're looking to tackle candida, it's not just about taking specific herbs that kill candida. It's also not just about following an anti-candida diet. It's also about looking at like, well, how did this candida overgrowth happened in the first place for all the reasons that I just mentioned and making sure those are being addressed because those are root cause variables. And if those are not addressed, then you're, then you're going to clear the candida and it's going to grow right back because, you know, the heavy metals haven't been addressed or the stomach acid hasn't been increased or the parasites haven't been addressed or the blood sugar imbalance hasn't been addressed like X, Y, Z insert your root cause variable here, right? So when you say she has put me on a multi with copper in it, I'm just curious, is that it? I'm assuming that you were also given dietary and lifestyle tools for the candida, for the low stomach acid, for replenishing the good bacteria, for boosting the neurotransmitter production, at least I would hope. And if you weren't, then that definitely needs to happen. And then what about supplements? Um, were you given, I'm assuming when you say she, you mean the practitioner who's been running this testing. So has she given you supplements for all of that? Um, like for the candida or is it just the multi with copper? And I'll talk about my thoughts on that a little bit later. You did mention that the candida diet was hard to stick to. I'm assuming that you are doing the super strict one with no sugars, even natural sugars like fruits and stuff like that. But the reasoning behind this has changed and it doesn't have to be as strict anymore. You actually do want to feed the candida a little. 
so that the targeted herbs and supplements that you're using to effectively kill off that overgrowth works because you don't want the candida to go dormant. And it depends on how severe the candida is. But in general, when it comes to diet, I like to do a gradual approach to reducing certain things, um, like the certain foods that are feeding the candida, because this is going to reduce the stress and anxiety that lifestyle and diet changes can create. I like focusing on reducing foods that feed yeast, aggravate digestion, and that you know that you are sensitive to. Because the thing is, diet alone did not create candida. So diet alone is not going to eliminate the candida. So some things you want to think about reducing are, yes, gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, and soy. We do want to reduce that. Caffeine, uh, vinegar, any kind, so including apple cider vinegar. Alcohol, uh, brewer's yeast, which double-check supplements because it can be found in some supplements. Fermented foods, so kimchi, sauerkraut, pickles, um, yogurt, miso, tempeh, cheese, olives, cured food, things like that. Soy sauce. And you want to make sure you're checking your condiments, your sauces, and your salad dressings. Those are often a hidden source of sugar, corn, soy, things like that. I actually had candida a few years ago. And I didn't make that many dietary changes when I was killing it off because I don't eat a ton of gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, or soy. But I did remove fermented foods. I do eat a lot of those. Alcohol, nutritional yeast that I like to put on my broccoli and cauliflower sometimes to make it taste cheesy. And I don't use soy softs. I use coconut aminos instead. And apple cider vinegar was something that I had to remove as well. And then for supplements for Candida, I love Cellcor. That's a company that I primarily work with pretty exclusively when it comes to targeting and killing any self pathogens or gut pathogens. And when it comes to kind of supporting the detox and drainage pathways of the body, that is my favorite company. There's also Metagenics. They have some good um, Candibactin, AR and BR. I've used those two successfully. But you're looking at at least two to four months for the kill phase. Prior to that, you want to support drainage for at least one month before, at least. So another question I would have is how long was the supplement protocol for Candida if you did one? Was it actually comprehensive enough and did it address any co-infections like parasites, SIBO, H. pylori, heavy metals, mold toxicity, these also have to be addressed or candida will regrow. I break all of this down, including the exact supplement protocols I use, the dietary and lifestyle protocols, all of that for the four most common gut pathogens, self-pathogens that I see that create anxiety. So again, parasites, SIBO, H. pylori, candida. How many times am I going to say that in this episode? Probably a lot. Moving on to stomach acid. Which remember, low stomach acid is one of the reasons that candida can overgrow. So this also has to be tackled. What are you doing for this? The stomach is the site of food sterilization and protein digestion. So if this is low, of course, neurotransmitter production is going to be low since we need protein and we need enough stomach acid to actually break down and digest this protein into amino acids that then go on to make up neurotransmitters. So if you are not producing enough neurotransmitters, it's definitely because of what's going on in your gut, but also are you eating enough protein? And the thing is, you actually don't want to increase protein until you've increased stomach acid because it's going to be really hard for you to increase your protein and to eat the amount of protein that you need to eat if your stomach acid is low. And I really, really, really think parasites are involved here, especially with stomach acid being low. This is how they get in because stomach acid isn't strong enough to kill them off. B12 is also going to be low because without enough stomach acid, you can't absorb B12. So even though you're on a multivitamin, supplementing nutrient deficiencies isn't enough. I actually never put people on multivitamins. They're not really doing anything. So even if there was a B12 in your multi, you're still not absorbing it properly because you need high enough stomach acid to do that. 
And B12 plays an important role in our mental health. It's part of, so B9, B6, and B12 are what are called methylators. And methylation is at the center of biochemistry and brain function. It's necessary for the production and the removal of neurotransmitters, including dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. It's also key in detoxification and helps to reduce inflammation. So we don't want B12 to be low. And what's really important to understand here is it's not enough to know what neurotransmitters, or sorry, what nutrients are low. We need to understand why they're low and fix that. A lot of people will go to their doctor complaining of low energy and fatigue, and the doctor might do blood work and say, okay, yeah, iron and B12 is low, so we're going to supplement with that. But why is it low? (laughs) Because let's say B12 is low because of stomach acid, and you take a B12 supplement, which might maybe help with your energy or it might not, but you still haven't addressed the stomach acid. So you will at some point, if you don't already, struggle with other symptoms of low stomach acid. And these are symptoms like gas, bloating, heartburn, acid reflux, burning sensation in the stomach, all of that, feeling tired or heavy after meals, stools that are not properly formed, undigested food in in stool, nausea after taking supplements, bacteria overgrowth, parasitic overgrowth, constipation, hormonal imbalances, because amino acids are a major component of hormones. There's going to be poor absorption of minerals like calcium, magnesium, iron, potassium, and zinc. And there's going to be low neurotransmitter production in addition to that intestinal permeability again, which is going to create inflammation. And then iron, which was the other example I gave, iron is prime parasite food. So supplementing with iron, again, doesn't really do much if also there's parasites that aren't being addressed. They're just going to gobble a lot of that up. So when you ask, I'm trying to figure out what to do first, I think gut health is the most important, you're bang on. Gut health has to be addressed first. So big picture, what this would look like is you got to boost stomach acid. We got to remove the candida. We need to rule out parasites and other co-infections. So either work with someone who can do this via testing um, or who can look at all the symptoms and can really look at the full health history and all the symptoms and then walk you through a comprehensive protocol that addresses all potential stealth pathogens. And then, of course, you're going to want to rebalance your good bacteria, but we got to address the stealth pathogens first. And then after that, you're going to look at your diet and using your diet to then go and boost neurotransmitter production. So I have two super detailed workshops for anybody listening on exactly how to do this. If you don't want to work with me in breaking up with anxiety, for example, or the anxiety relief consult or any of my offerings. And those workshops are bundled together in something called the Complete Gut Health Bundle. And this is going to come together. It's all going to come together to help with the P-roll disorder and the menopause magnifying your symptoms. And I'm going to explain how and why. So first, what is P-roll disorder for anybody listening? It's also called P-roll, P-rollurea, P-rollurea. I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Anyway, it's a condition caused by stress that depletes the body of certain minerals and vitamins before they're actually able to get absorbed. And it's lumped in with uh, social anxiety conditions, social anxiety disorder, because a lot of the symptoms mimic that. And then we also have other symptoms like early morning nausea, joint issues, depression, all that good stuff. And For many, it starts in early childhood, and because of that, it's considered genetic, which I do not believe for one second, and it frustrates me that it's brushed off as genetic, because you know what else runs in families besides genetics? Stealth pathogens passed on from mother to baby during birth or when mom carries baby. Toxin load passed on from mother to baby during birth. The water quality in the house, you're all drinking the same water. The eating habits, you're all eating the same food. The air quality, you're all breathing the same air. Is there mold in the house? This is going to impact everyone. Generational trauma, 
coping mechanisms. You learn your coping mechanisms first and foremost, usually from your parents, usually from your household. Household products. So toxin exposure, again, personal care products, the products used to clean the house. I mean, if I just think about me growing up, my mom bought all the products for me. And then as I got older, I just continued to buy either what she had, what she was using or what she was buying for me, or maybe what my friends were using. And I didn't have, my mom wasn't using natural stuff. My friends weren't using natural stuff. So lots of endocrine disruptors. So hormonal disruptors in there. What else runs in the family? Your exercise and movement habits, your daily habits. If there is a lack of exercise and movement in the family, well, with the parents, are the kids going to take that on? Probably, unless they work to break that, right? Mindset. Similar mindset struggles or issues, like unless we do the work to break it. We learn how to manage stress from our family unless we do the work to break it. And the list goes on and on and on. And all of these factors change the way your genes are expressed. Genetics, what you are born with may load the gun in some situations, but diet, lifestyle, toxins, pathogens, the, your environment, that pulls the trigger. Your daily choices carry so much power. And so many people resist this fact of life because it means that they have to take ownership of their health and they have to accept the role that they played in their current health situation. And I am not talking to the person who asked this question because I do not know them. <laughs> I don't know their situation. I'm just talking about my qualms with things being, oh, it's genetic. People don't want most of the time, not the people I work with, not most of the people who listen to my podcast. But a lot of people don't want to take responsibility and ownership of their health. And they don't want to accept the role that they played in their current health situation. Because for many, it goes against what they have known their entire lives. And so we like to blame others, like our genetics. We're like, oh, it's my genetics. And so to what this lovely woman who asked this question said and spurred on this conversation, she said that she has got issues her whole life and so does her daughter. Is this genetics or is this environmental? Is this lifestyle? Is this diet? Is this toxin load? All of which runs in the family. And this is called epigenetics. The way you live your life determines how your genes are expressed. So back to P-Roll disorder, the main thing here is that someone has difficulty handling stress or change and the anxiety symptoms and the social anxiety get so much worse when you're under a lot of stress. But stress is a very, very vague term. Stress can mean physical from body-based imbalances, digestive imbalances, self-pathogens, etc. It can mean mental, it can mean emotional. Many people only think of stress as mental and emotional, which is leaving out a massive piece of the puzzle. Two of the biggest drivers for P-Roll disorder are oxidative stress and parasites, which absolutely can happen in early childhood. In a nutshell, there are a variety of things that can cause stress within the cells of our body which will cause a downregulation of energy production, so a decrease of energy production in the mitochondria, and then an upregulation, so an increase of something called free radicals, which causes damage to the mitochondria in our cells. This is called oxidative stress. Now, your body is having a hard time making energy, so the mitochondrial function is low, and... This is needed, like mitochondrial function, energy, is needed for so many reactions, like all the reactions in the body. It's needed to make hormones. It's needed to make neurotransmitters. Are you seeing how we're connecting the dots here? And so when you have low energy production, then you have a lot of other issues going on, which upregulates, increases stress. So now it's like the body is stuck in this loop that needs to be broken. Because you know you have candida, this leads me to think that there is also heavy metal toxicity. 
since one of the reasons candida overgrows, as I have already mentioned, is to protect the body from this heavy metal burden. And heavy metals also drive a lot of the issues with mitochondria and energy production and oxidative stress, as well as environmental toxins like glyphosate, which is a widely used herbicide in the genetically modified crops, so GMO crops like soybeans, corn, canola, and uh, cotton, which is engineered. So basically, they're engineered to withstand glyphosate application. And so they're massively sprayed with glyphosate. This was actually one of my research papers in school, and it's shocking how much this is used and the impact that it's having on the body. A lot of grains like wheat, oat, and barley are sprayed with glyphosate, which is one of the many reasons I say to reduce gluten. Mitochondria health is massively overlooked and something I talk about in crazy detail in my How to Eliminate Common Gut Pathogens That Create Anxiety workshop, which is included in the complete gut health workshop bundle. The liver has up to 2,000 mitochondria per cell. That's crazy. <laughs> the brain has up to five to 10,000 mitochondria per cell. The heart, tons of mitochondria. It's, they're everywhere. They're everywhere in our body. And you mentioned low B6. Actually, I don't know if I included that. Did I include that in your question? But anyway, we were talking in the DMs and a lot was shared with me and I was like, okay, I'm going to put this on an AMA. So I might be going off of memory as well. Not everything that I wrote down and transferred into the Ask Me Anything sheet. But I, I remember B12 and I think there was something with thyroid as well. So with pyroluria, that's what I'm used to calling it, but obviously not allowed because I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Um, just in my head, it's the same thing as P-roll disorder. So with that, there is a problem with heme, so iron synthesis. And it actually depletes you of zinc and vitamin B6, so that makes sense. But it's not as simple as just increasing supplementation of zinc, zinc, zinc and vitamin B6. Same concept we're coming back to here with the B12 and the iron, Right. If you have tried supplementing with the appropriate dosage of, let's say, B6, zinc, and magnesium, for example, and you haven't felt like there has been much improvement in your, in your symptoms, this means you have way too much going on from an infection, parasitic, virus, toxin load standpoint. And that's taking way too much energy to keep the other bodily processes chugging along as smoothly as they should be. What needs to happen now is these infections, these self-pathogens, they need to be removed so that the demand from your body for zinc and B6 is much less. And now that zinc and that B6 can go to making your neurotransmitters and, and making your hormones. So it's all coming back full circle, right? Another example of this and how parasites are involved is that ammonia is produced from parasites, from Lyme bacteria, from a lot of fungus and yeast. So candida produce a similar byproduct. And all of that, again, is creating oxidative stress on the body. So it's literally all connected. Everything you're asking about, it's all connected. It's all connected to the gut always. So you're totally right when you say, I need to start with my gut. Yes, absolutely. The root causes of the oxidative stress and what's triggering this anxiety and the symptoms that you're, all the other stuff you're experiencing are potentially and most likely, and I strongly think, things like parasites, heavy metals, and other stealth pathogens. You said you were struggling with sugar intolerance. Well, again, those pathogens are creating a lot of stress on the body, which is going to create a lot of allergies and sensitivities. So for many people, this can be resolved when properly supported through a stealth pathogen elimination protocol. And you might be thinking like, okay, how do parasites create anxiety? Like, how is that happening? What's the mechanism in the body? Well, let me tell you. They affect specific enzymes that help us to calm down. There's a type of parasite, it's a protozoan parasite, and it's found in pork and kitty litter, so cats, 
amongst other places. And it's a microscopic parasite. So you would not be able to see it. It's naked to the human eye. And it affects the enzyme that helps us convert glutamate, an amino acid, to GABA. GABA is the anti-anxiety neurotransmitter that helps to calm us down. It's really important for dealing with anxiety. It's really important for sleep. Then we have hookworms, and you can get these from swimming in lakes, from soil, in the water that you're drinking. And they are specifically secreting this enzyme that suppresses GABA. This is going to drive anxiety sky high. This is going to impact sleep again. Parasites, and these are just a few examples. Oh, another example is parasites drive cortisol, so your stress hormone, up. And because they are a lot more active at night, this is going to impact sleep can create insomnia, even if you grind your teeth at night. If kids grind their teeth at night, likely a parasite is involved. So adults or kids, it's not necessarily due to mental or emotional stress. And that night guard from your dentist isn't going to do anything if you also have parasites. Parasites are not a third world issue. They are also microscopic. They are not like worms. Sometimes they are, but a lot of time we can't even see them. So we have no idea and they get missed on testing a lot. You can definitely get them from your travel for sure, but there are parasites in every single ecosystem around the world. And then we have co-infections like Bartonella is an example, and that drives anxiety, OCD, insomnia. So a lot of people with P-roll disorder have chronic infections. And it's amazing and mind-blowing what can happen when you clear these things out of the body. Now let's circle back to the subject of that multivitamin with copper. I actually disagree with this, I think. I mean, it's hard to say because I don't know your full picture. I haven't done a health history intake with you. But this is why I maybe disagree. I don't know about this whole copper in a multivitamin thing, especially if it's synthetically lab created. If your multivitamin is food-based, and that's the thing, I don't know what kind of multivitamin you're on, that can change it as well. But if you don't process copper properly, I know you said you were thinking of getting tested, so that's great. But if you don't process copper properly, this is going to drive anxiety and depression. And to make things even more confusing, most people who have copper toxicity are also copper deficient at the same time. And you might be thinking like, what? How the heck is that happening? So copper is a great mineral. It's important. But the thing is, like anything, in certain amounts, in optimal amounts, and it's also really important to understand that if we are not getting enough copper into our cells and the copper is actually congesting other organs like the liver is that primary storage site. And then the brain is the secondary uh, storage site, which is why copper is often called the emotional mineral. You might've heard of that. But when that happens and it's not getting into the cells to do its amazing antibacterial work, because copper is antibacterial, when it's not getting into the cells and instead it's going into the liver and congesting the liver, this is a problem. And then we end up seeing a lot of hormonal issues. Again, dots are being connected, right? So it's toxic because it's going to congest other organs. And then we're also deficient because our cells aren't getting what they need. So basically we have enough copper, but it's going to the wrong place. So if copper is uh, congesting in your liver, it's going to increase a uh, a process called aromatization. And what this does is it makes uh, testosterone turn into estrogen, but specifically estradiol, which is our most potent estrogen. We have three, estrone, estradiol, and estrol. Then each of these estrogens have a bunch of different metabolites, which you would know because you got the Dutch test done and the Dutch test tests for all of this. Not blood work from your doctor, okay? Blood work from your doctor is not for anybody listening who's like, oh, let me just go to my doctor and get blood work to see what's going on with my estrogens. It's not going to give you the same information as a Dutch. And then I am remembering now from our conversations in the DMs that you did mention a thyroid condition as well. I think if I'm remembering 
correctly. So I definitely would caution against supplementing with copper if there's a thyroid condition, but I do assume that you're working with a practitioner who knows what they're doing. So, you know, maybe ignore me, but I'm, I'm very cautious about copper supplementation, unless you know for sure it's bioavailable and it's getting into the cells, unless you know for sure that you are deficient. Um, cause we are getting copper from other areas as well. So unfiltered drinking water is a big issue with copper toxicity, especially like if, what are your pipes? Are your pipes copper? Birth control pill, of course, which you're, you're in menopause. So it's not really a problem for you right now, but for a lot of women, they're on the birth control pill. So they actually have more copper toxicity, the copper IUD. Um, so I, I really can't properly comment on this multivitamin with multivitamin with copper situation without seeing you in practice and knowing the entire picture, but copper toxicity does drive anxiety. And so I would like to double check that personally. But again, coming back to that big picture question where you said, you know, what do I do first? Gut health. Gut health must be addressed, which you knew anyway. I'm just validating this for you. So again, boosting stomach acid, removing candida, removing parasites, heavy metals, all those co-infections, rebalancing good bacteria, and then looking to the diet to boost neurotransmitter production. And I will add, if you are properly addressing parasites, co-infections, stealth pathogens, mitochondria if will be massively supported here. It's included in all of my detox and drainage protocols, uh, and that is going to reduce that oxidative stress. So we're like double whammy here, tackling it from multiple areas. Okay, now let's chat about menopause. Is menopause really magnifying all of this? Yes and no. Basically, menopause is not to blame. Ladies, we have to stop blaming our hormones. Women love to do this because this is what we have been conditioned to think. I used to do this. So again, I'm not throwing any shade. I'm saying I get it, but our hormones are not to blame. They are chemical messengers doing a job. They are being given an order from somewhere else. So stop shooting the messenger. That would be like if somebody were to come to serve you with divorce papers and you blame the person serving you the papers for the entire divorce. Like that makes no sense, right? The reason why someone would be having a tough time in menopause and the reason perimenopause would be such a struggle is because of the body-based imbalances that were already there prior to you entering those seasons of your life, okay? Very important word there, prior, 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 prior. You can crash into perimenopause and menopause, or you can glide through it. I was going to a wedding months ago now, back in February, and I was getting a blowout for the wedding, and the woman, but a few chairs down from me, it's a very small salon. So there's like six chairs, but you can hear everything, right? She was getting her hair done and she was going on and on and on complaining about her menopause and saying things like, what can you do about it though? You know, that this is just how it is. The curse of being a woman. My mom had a bad menopause. My sisters had a bad menopause. And I literally wanted to scream. (laughs) I wanted to be like, no, it doesn't have to be like this. I was actually incredibly uncomfortable in my chair. I kept like moving around. I just like, it was, I was like tweaking out, listening, trying to tune the conversation out. And also it's not my place to be like, Hey, you know, like people don't usually like when you do that, (laughs) when you try and tell them like, Hey, I have a better way. And I was experiencing this chest tightness that I used to experience daily when I had an anxiety and panic disorder. Now, To be clear, my frustration isn't with that woman or any woman who thinks this way or feels this way. I want to make that very clear. My frustration is that we have been conditioned to think this way. And that likely what happened is you listening, anybody listening who's in menopause and this lovely woman at the hair salon probably went to their doctor and the doctor just said, welcome to menopause. (laughs) right? 
we need to stop blaming these very normal transitions in our life as women. And we need to ask ourselves again, what role did we play in this? What role have I played in the difficulty of this transition? Because you have played a role. Everybody has played a role in the manifestation of their health. Because they don't have to be that difficult. Perimenopause and menopause do not have to be these horrible things. You can have health and vitality and anxiety freedom in menopause, in perimenopause, in any phase of your life. But it's not going to come in a bottle. It's going to come from your dietary choices, your lifestyle choices, your gut health, which is a little bit in a bottle because there's supplements there, and other behaviors. So I hope women who are not in their postmenopausal years don't stop listening to this part of the episode because there's still going to be tons of information in here for you to understand so you can start making different choices now so that you can glide through perimenopause, so you can glide through your postmenopausal years. You do not have to suffer. I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but you do not have to suffer. Instead of looking at menopause as this like deterioration or degeneration, I think is the word I was trying to say. Instead of looking at menopause as this degeneration of the female body, let's shift that and look at it as a regeneration. You are entering the second phase of your life. Part two, act two. The last stat that I saw on this was that 75% of women will experience symptoms like hot flashes, mood swings, difficulty concentrating, sleep problems, um, loss of sex drive for a decade or longer. And 55% of those women won't do anything to try and alleviate these symptoms except maybe HRT. That's wild. Those are wild stats. And medical healthcare providers aren't that much help, unfortunately, because their only real solution is HRT, but it's not their fault. So that's hormone replacement therapy for anybody who's like, what is HRT? But it's not their fault because in school, they're taught to medicate and they're taught to cut out. And they have a real big lack of the basic understanding of menopause management because it's largely diet, it's largely lifestyle, and there's no training for that in medical school. So I'm not like, again, shaming anybody who wants to do HRT. That's totally cool. Like that's your prerogative. But I do also want people to know that there are other options out there, especially if HRT is not working for them as much as they would like. And what I really want women to understand is that fluctuating hormonal levels are not the only trigger of menopausal symptoms. Cumulative dietary and lifestyle choices that have been building up for the last 40 plus years play a massive role in this. Most women, by the time they're in perimenopause, which I'm going to do a whole separate episode on like breaking up with anxiety and perimenopause and, you know, breaking up with anxiety and menopause where I'll really like, those will be two separate episodes and I'll really dive into all the juicy goodness because I've only been talking for an hour (laughs) as per usual. But most women are coming into their menopause with years and years and years of poor eating habits, years of dieting, under eating, over exercising, which leave them nutritionally depleted, not to mention the years of digestive imbalances, of malabsorption, of potential gut pathogens, right? So if women were entering this phase of their life properly nourished and with optimal digestive function and with no gut pathogens, this would be a much smoother transition. And the reality is, for anybody listening, you have to make some serious changes. You're probably going to have to make some serious changes to your diet and lifestyle, which is simple in theory, but it's always going to be difficult to do in practice, but not impossible. And the reason I say this specifically for women in perimenopause and menopause and maybe less so in their cyclical years is because it's not easy to change your diet and behaviors in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, because you're so stuck in your habits, right? And you're so stuck in your routines because you have years and years and years and years of like the same thing, right? But let me ask you, has that been working for you? You can do anything if you make it a priority. You can do hard things. 
I'm not going to get super into the key areas of, you know, how to have a graceful, a more graceful menopause. Cause again, I'm going to do a separate episode on that, but here are, here are the overarching steps. Step one, address gut health, detox pathways, drainage, stealth pathogens, gut pathogens, et cetera. Literally everything that I have talked about today and on many other episodes. Number two, flood your body with nutrients and get your nutritional status back into optimal range. So not getting blood work from your doctor and having your doctor tell you everything's fine. Actually getting blood work done and read by a functional practitioner like me or a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine doctor, something like that. This is going to help with the hot flashes, the headaches, the migraines, the depression, the anxiety, the irritability, the sleep issues, the dry skin, the panic attacks, the heart palpitations, the aching joints. This is all from nutrient deficiencies. Number three, uh, use natural plant-based estrogen compounds called phytoestrogens. This is going to help with hot flashes, depression, anxiety, irritability. Number four, Exercise regularly. This is going to help with hot flashes, headaches, migraines, depression, anxiety, irritability, and sleep. And number five, build a daily relaxation practice. This is so important. And this is going to help with headaches, migraines, depression, anxiety, irritability, sleep issues, panic attacks, heart palpitations, and those achy joints. That was a graceful menopause 101. But I'm going to circle back now to the main point of this big question, which I loved, by the way, I loved all the detail. I love playing detective and putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. This is like my favorite thing to do ever. So I was so excited when I, I was having this conversation in the DMs with this lovely lady. And I was saying like, these are such good questions. I, I need to put this on a podcast because there is no way I'm going to answer all of this uh, in the DMs. So I want to circle back to the main point, which is, you know, she's trying to figure out what to do first. So gut health and a proper elimination of stealth pathogens. I can help with this privately for anybody listening in my anxiety detox sessions, or you can do this by following what I talk about in my complete gut health bundle. And I've also given a lot of information in this episode on some of the things and how to get started. So there's still like a lot that you can kind of piece together through this episode. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly by talking about all the testing that's been done. I'm not going to get into the different types of testing, but I do have some thoughts around this because it has cost her her time and it has cost her money. Time is a currency as well, not just money. Time, energy, and money are our three currencies. So in case it is not abundantly obvious after listening to me yammer on for an hour, addressing gut health first is the most important thing. And I actually don't recommend anybody spend money on any functional testing until they have done everything else first like changing their diet, changing their lifestyle, supporting the key organs of gut health. So your stomach, your liver, your small intestine with some supplementation. Doing this alone can resolve so many imbalances. And then after you have done all that and you have built up these new habits and you're still experiencing symptoms, if you're still experiencing symptoms, then your next step is to test for all of those stealth and gut pathogens, which can include anything from bacteria imbalances in the gut like candida, uh, to parasites, to mycotoxins from mold exposures, to heavy metals that are trapped in the body, to H. pylori, SIBO, viruses that aren't being cleared effectively, etc. But if you do not address the basics of gut health, which do not mean just taking a probiotic and calling it a day, If you do not address the basics of diet and lifestyle, in my opinion, it's just a little bit of a waste of money to then go and do functional testing like the oats and the Dutch and the food sensitivity and even gut testing. And I have spent my money on these things. I have done, I have done all, I haven't done oats. I've done Dutch, I've done food sensitivity and I have done gut testing, but I did the Dutch and the gut testing because I was trying to specifically figure something out after I had done everything else. And I was looking to rule other things uh, out. 
and it has it gave me the information I needed and then I just had to make a few small tweaks. But if you're looking at these tests to tell you like everything and what to do, all they're going to tell you is that your foundation and you don't have a strong foundation, what they're going to tell you is that you need to build your strong foundation. So why spend the money on that test until you've built the foundation? right? So many gut issues can be resolved without testing, without having to spend that money. So I've said the foundation a million times. What I mean is the basics of gut health, diet, and lifestyle is your foundation. It's like building a house. Just like a house needs a strong foundation to stand tall and sturdy and strong and not collapse, your health also relies on a solid foundation to thrive. And the foundation of your health is made up of the things you do to take care of yourself, like eating nutritious foods, getting enough sleep, staying active, um, actively working on managing your stress and your stressors. So if we're sticking with this house analogy, what will happen to a house if the foundation is weak, right? I Googled this, by the way, because I don't know anything about houses. So it can cause the entire structure of the house to become unstable. You can get sloppy floors, leaning walls, cracks in the walls and ceilings and floors. The structural integrity of the house can be compromised, making it unsafe to inhabit. You can have settlement issues, which I didn't know what these were, but now I do. It's when your foundation sinks or shifts unevenly. And then this can go on to cause significant damage to the house. So you can get, again, cracks in the walls, misaligned doors and windows and problems with the plumbing and the electrical system. The list goes on and on, right? And guess what? Now that house has got some costly repairs to do, right? Repairing a compromised foundation can be complex and it can be an expensive process. And your health is no different. Yes, it can get really expensive and very time consuming and it sucks and it's frustrating to get your health back on track. But why did this happen in the first place? We have to take accountability for the role we played in this. Even if we didn't know any better, which so many people, they didn't. Like that's how they find themselves in this situation. That's how I found myself in this situation. I found myself on the highest daily dose of Prozac, taking Ativan almost every single day, having multiple panic attacks a week, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, clinical depression. I found myself in that situation based on actions I was taking that I didn't even know I was doing. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong until I learned that I was doing things wrong, right? So a lot of the time people don't know. They don't know. But that doesn't mean that they didn't play a role in the manifestation of their health. Without a strong foundation, you will experience symptoms and issues with your physical health, your mental health, and these are just the facts. I have said you a lot in this episode. And I just want to make it clear that I am not singling out the one person who asked this question when I say you. When I say you, I mean you listening. And if you listening are like, okay, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to build my strong foundation before I get any more testing. Please go listen to the Root Causes of Anxiety series. Series. (laughs) This is what happens when I start talking for over an hour. I start slurring my words. There are three episodes so far in the series, episode 11, 15, and 19. There's at least one more coming, if not two. I have literally laid it out for you. Every single thing that is part of building this foundation, that is part of the foundational work. And I'm going to say it again. A lot of digestive imbalances can be solved without any testing at all. This is also what I can walk you through step-by-step-by-step by step by step in the Breaking Up With Anxiety group coaching program if you are interested or ready for that step. If you want to work through this at your own, on your own pace, I have my three core workshops, the How to Reprogram Your Gut So Your Anxiety Can Calm the Fuck Down workshop, <laughs> the How to Eat So Your Anxiety Stays Far, Far Away workshop, and the In Sync With Your Hormones workshop, which is how to eat and exercise in a way that actually supports your hormones. You can buy those individually, or you can get them in a bundle that saves you 97 bucks. It's called the Bye Bye Anxiety Bundle. That would be your foundation. 
build that first please. I cannot stress that enough. Then once you have done that, if you are still experiencing symptoms, now is the time to turn to stealth pathogen testing. My number one favorite test for this is called the full scan by CBH Energetics. This is the test that I run in practice. My second pick would be something like the GI map from Diagnostic Solutions or something similar to that. You would have to get that from a functional nutritionist or a functional medicine doctor or naturopathic doctor, but it's still, it still misses things because it's really only picking up things that are in your stool versus the bioresonance testing, the full scan testing. It's picking things up from all over the body, resonating toxins, parasites, food and environmental sensitivities, nutritional imbalances, hormonal imbalances. It's a hair and saliva test. And it gives really, really amazing insight into what is stressing out the the body and then creating a bunch of symptoms. Conventional medicine uses this form of kind of testing in CT scans, MRIs, EKGs. Like bioresonance testing, those kind of types of tests provide for like a more big picture, full interpretation. And what I really love about the full scan is it really helps to fill in the gaps that a lot of conventional medicine testing is either missing or overlooking. Uh, And then this leaves people falling through the cracks. And in my opinion, it's the future of holistic medicine. So I, I love working with it. I'll put the link to it in the show notes because you can buy it yourself. You don't have to get it with me. It's 350 USD, I'm pretty sure. Um, last time I checked, if you buy it yourself, and then um, I offer it in practice for 250 USD because it's included in my six-month uh, private coaching package called the Anxiety Detox Sessions. But the Anxiety Detox Sessions are only available for those who have built their foundation first. So I'll put all the links and everything in the show notes for all this stuff. Everything that I talk about will always be in the show notes, clickable links, so it's easy access for everybody. But I really just want to emphasize that not all my clients need the detox sessions package. This specific question that I was answering in this specific person, I really think that she would benefit from building the foundation first, making sure that's solid, and then looking at testing for stealth pathogens if she still needs to. But not everyone I work with needs the detox sessions package because the majority of them are going to get full resolution with breaking up with anxiety, the group coaching program. And then for some, we do still have stealth pathogens that are stuck in the body and they need to be eliminated. And if you're curious about learning a little bit more about that, I did have a client come onto the podcast to talk about her experience going through breaking up with anxiety first. And now we're about halfway through the detox sessions. It's episode 18. It's called Jess's Journey to Anxiety Freedom. So definitely check that out. If you're curious about, you know, either program and you want a little bit more of an understanding of which one might be for you. So then if you have actually tried everything, and I mean actually tried everything, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard, I've tried everything. And then I start to work with them and they have not tried everything when it comes to the foundational work. And again, I'm laughing, not at these people. I'm laughing at myself because I used to say that. And so I'm just kind of laughing like hindsight's 2020 because I used to say that all the time. I used to be like, I've tried everything and nothing's working. And in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I was nowhere near trying everything. And this is why I created my single consult offer to actually review everything you have done. So I will look at your entire health history, your symptomatology, uh, your test results, as long as they're current. So within six months, it's called the anxiety relief consult. It's a one hour private consultation where I will provide you with a detailed report outlining the root cause it is root cause. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I need to stop talking soon. I'm almost done. I think. (laughs) The root causes of your anxiety, all the root causative factors, root cause variables. I use a bunch of these words interchangeably because I just don't want people to think there's one root cause. There's not. There's multiple. And I will provide you with a supplement, 
protocol, dietary suggestions, lifestyle suggestions. Like I'm literally going to give you your action plan and then you take it and you run with it. So if anybody listening truly thinks they have tried everything, book this consult and I will tell you exactly what's missing and what to do. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.